This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to another ATP Tennis Radio podcast and the first since all the drama of the Australian Open and an eighth perfect start to the season for Novak Djokovic. I'm Seb Lozier and this week we are back to the regular ATP tour with tournaments in India, Argentina and France and we have some real treats in store. Ever wondered how you might coach Gail Monfils? Well, we find out how from Liam Smith... Among others, we also hear from current world number 22, Guido Pella, one of the nicest guys on tour. And there's doubles great Leander Pays on his last hurrah in India, having finally called time on his wonderful career. We start this week in South America, where there are no fewer than five tour events coming up over a frantic February, starting in Cordoba, Argentina. Guido Pella's early exit was a surprise given the remarkable upturn in his form over the past 12 months, something he puts down to a newfound perspective and explained to ATP Uncovered's Rob Curling. 80-90% of tennis is it's about the, the mind. My mind is in the right place, so it doesn't matter if I lose the first set or if I lose the second set, I, I still remain in camp. There was a psychological breakthrough. I started to feel maybe one year and a half ago that uh, I needed something else because my ranking was stuck like maybe 50, 60, 70, 80, and I really wanted to do better. Oh, he's got him this time. And what a way to close out the match. When I stepped into the court, the results were not good enough. Pella had come to a career crossroads and decided to talk to a psychologist. I started to, to seek and try to find another, another thing to, to get better, and I think I've I done it. In the past, I was worrying more about everything, about the weather, about the court, about the balls, uh, about the other guy. And I think now I'm, I'm worried just about me, about how I feel, about how I play, and I think that that worked for me a lot because now in the court it's just me. Oh yeah, he's placing this forehand perfectly. Superb. It's a super win for Guido Pella. I've been working really hard on my tennis in the past few years, but I think uh, the key was to win this this first title for me in Sao Paulo. After lost, uh, after I lost four finals, it was like a a big relief for me, so I think that that was the key because after that my game was improving a lot and I think after Miami I've been playing very good tennis. It's another fine win for Guido Pella, what a 2019 he is having as the sixth seed crashes out. It was a dream to win a, an ATP title for me, so after that I stepped into the court much more confident, much more relaxing than maybe in previous years. I started to play much better, much like calm, and I think that that, that was very good for me because I found my, my game more, more quickly than maybe in the previous years. Another player who started the week in Argentina is Spaniard Pablo Andujar. 
After five elbow operations, he also has a newfound perspective on the game, as he told Chris Bowers. It's true that um, I have I have had a lot of issues after um, during my career with my elbow, and coming back, uh, it, it's a lot of sacrifice, but also, of course. Um, a little bit lucky because when sometimes you don't know if you're going to come back and in my case I was lucky that I that I came back of course I I didn't lose my faith that I I was always trying to come back but mentally it's difficult because sometimes you you don't feel that you're going to to come back and be competitive once again what allowed you to keep the faith what kept you going in the lowest moments i think the fact of being a father and having a small child that th- during those days made me uh, a little bit give value to other things and that in a way mm, the pressure I had I didn't have it uh, after the, the the birth of my of my little boy but some people could say that it works the other way you are over 30 you obviously have spent all your life playing tennis that might have been a good time to stop when you had a son, but, but you still had the desire to go on. Well, the thing is that I wanted to finish my career in a good mood, in a good way, like saying, OK, I did everything I, want, I, I tried to do to be competitive once again. So I didn't want to, to finish my career without trying. And in that way, I tried, I tried, I tried, and finally I'm here. So... So, you know, you, you, you never know what's going to happen, but in my case, uh, at least I wanted to be sure I did everything the, the right way. And then you won the tournament in Marrakesh, which was amazing. Your fourth tournament, the first one since all the elbow problems. D- did you ever feel at that stage, maybe I have achieved what I need to, to end well? You obviously had the desire to go on after Marrakesh. Now, now the thing is that I want to continue at least until my body says enough. But it's true that it's like um, a story and that's the end, no? But in, 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 in a way, I, I'm, now I'm, I can retire, I think, being happy with myself. Try, I, I, I tried to come back and then I came back, so I'm happy. But now I'm trying to, to make it last as, as long as possible. And, and that's the way I try to, to manage it and try to practice every day, to like give value to all the moments here in these kind of tournaments. So you went back to Marrakesh, got to the final, but then shortly after you were back in the world's top 50. How did that feel as an achievement? Uh, something I didn't expect at all and something that uh, three, two years, three years ago was, of course, uh, not possible in my mind. <laughs> so it's a great achievement. And now the only thing that I think about is to to be healthy, and that's the most important thing. Uh, to, you give value to those things, not to be healthy, because you, when you're not he- healthy, you're not happy. But you talk about the sacrifices. I mean, yes, you're healthy, but you have to put so much... Everybody in the top 100, everybody in the top 500 put so much effort in, make so many sacrifices. And this year you had a second child... And you're still putting the sacrifices in to be a top-level tennis player. Yeah, but in, in that case, having a child is not a sacrifice. I mean, the, the, the one that sacrifices every day is my wife. That's the one who's taking care of most of the days of, of, of them. 
Um, so for me, I take it in a way, in a positive way. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't go for the second child. And for me, it's been something that uh, it releases me, uh, as I told you before, the pressure. And, and having a, a, second, a second child gives me more happiness and everything in, the, in, in my career. Um, now I think is thanks to to those to those two kids that I have, no? Like like they give me that support that and and that those sacrifices that you have to make to to be in the top hundred, as you said, it's easier to to make them. So if there's one thing that you'd like to achieve before your body tells you this really is time to stop, what would it be? There are so many things that I didn't achieve in tennis, so. Um, I mean, in the results, maybe try to 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 be a better player than I was before. No, I, in a, not only in the rankings, but also as a, as a tennis player. But uh, I don't play all during all the year, hundred uh, percent, because sometimes I have to stop because of my body. So, so yeah, that's mostly the most important thing to to be a better player than I was before the, the surgery. South America's Golden Swing is made up of five tournaments. First in Cordoba and Buenos Aires in Argentina, then the Rio Open in Brazil. I'll be on site there to see Australian Open runner-up Dominic Team heading the draw and to witness electronic line calling for the first time at an ATP clay court event. Lots on that and all the colour from Rio a week from now. It'll then be on to Acapulco, like Rio, an ATP 500 event before the fifth and final stop on the Golden Swing and a brand new event in Santiago, Chile. The locals there will be hoping for a homegrown champion and amongst the favourites will be their very own Christian Garin. He started 2019 at 86 in the world, but now ranked 31, is starting to fulfil his potential under coach Andres Schneider, who's been speaking with Jill Krabus. He came to me, I think, to try to be top 100, you know, because uh, everybody pretend, expect from for him that he can be better, better before, no, and the younger, because he won Roland Garros with 16 years and was in the same team that Zverev, Koric, or Kyrgios, or that guys, and he couldn't grow up in the tennis like the other guys, no, and he was a little bit like depressive about that. When he came to me last year, he was 180. Um, the first uh, point, that, I mean, to reach is top 100. No? But we didn't expect that in seven months we are going to be 32 in the world. Like, was so amazing for us. And we didn't really expect this situation. And I think that also coming against us a little bit, uh, in the last two months, he started to, to see... Think know, about many, it. Yeah, think about it, uh, many new new things, you know? Money and points and yeah. famos, uh, everything. Yeah, so much. But how do, you, how, do you get him to, how do you get players to stop thinking that way? Because it's hard to, to not think. Yeah, it's tough. We it's talk, just day so much. every day. I, I use uh, psychology also. Okay. Um, I try. I try. They have to talk in 
more so about you the do life. the psychology as well I, I do the tennis you do I everything do, but he make another one personality oh. in the house, no? I was gonna in, say in you're Argentina. all one package <laughs> yeah all, all together because I think it's important to talk in something yes no no in tennis and tennis I am who are talking about tennis and psychology in tennis but uh, I like always have a, a place or somewhere outside to talking about the life because I think uh, uh, they have a uh, complicated lives many times because he, he changed a lot I mean so much success and he's changed a lot uh, I think it's important to talk with someone so so what do you do when you're not at the courts and not on the court do you, do you focus on other things besides tennis just to get his mind off of it no not really oh, okay. no not really no no he is he likes to talk so about it focus about tennis no he play video games uh, in the computer or or in the telephone or something like that but no no not really a focus in something are there are there any um, techniques that you use like breathing to relax him or any yeah. other any other techniques yeah that I'm talking a lot about 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 that in during the match like breathing that uh, uh, or, or talking in positive way um, be more electric in the point uh, or, or try to to watch us and show well the, the, the I am full in this point uh, to, to, to be more exciting no and don't go so down uh, we like we comprehend that, that we have to be in that way to to the important moments and as far as on court what were some things that you wanted to see him and improve in his game from the start I, we try a lot uh, to improve by technique uh, in the forehand. We, we work a lot in the forehand, also in the serve. Um, but the, the most important thing that we work is in the competition. That all the things that I, I put in his game, how, how he has to be all the time. No, We get the identity, identity of the game, like we are going to play in this way all the time. Um, I think that for me is so important to to give you very clear your mind, your mind, no? Like have to be focusing one thing, you know, in two or three, no? I think that give you more clear to thinking about it. Uh, but and then few few things to to be very competitive all the time. Competing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting every yeah, every all point. The time. Yeah. To try to be. I mean, I tell to him, I want uh, Christian Garin every point, not sometime. No? Yes. This is the idea. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. It's been a big week for one of the modern greats of the game. And more specifically, the doubles game. India's Leander Pays has decided to draw the curtain on a glittering career. And whilst the farewell tour will run throughout the year, Pune has been his final tour outing in his home country. To mark the occasion, he spoke with his fans through the tournament's Facebook page. You know, coming to Pune in 2020 is a, a really uh, emotional uh, tournament for me um, because of the fact that it's been 31 years since I've been playing tennis and this is my final year. Um, in this farewell year, I call it one last draw. And um, I hope I can roar really loud for my fans and all the tennis lovers out there in the country. I, uh, I've played many years because all of you have inspired me so much. All of you have given me wind with, within my wings to 
play for you over these last 30 years and uh, playing this whole season uh, I just finished the Australian Open and that was my uh, 97th Grand Slam appearance I believe and then doing Wimbledon and French Open and the US Open hopefully um, I'll get to finish a, a season here, uh, through the year but playing uh, in India on our home soil always means something special to me uh, to motivate all the youngsters to be the best that they can be uh, something I've strived to do my whole career and uh, I hope that uh, this week as well uh, we can have a great uh, uh, turnout and a great uh, performance from all our Indian players and wishing them all the best and uh, I hope that uh, uh, the tournament here in Pune uh, keeps growing uh, in India, keeps growing uh, in, in big strides. In September of, of 2019 I um, was trying to figure out what's the best way to retire and uh, I asked my whole team to give me suggestions. I asked my my media team, my social media team, my parents, my tennis team, my business team, I asked them all to give me suggestions on what the best way to retire is. And uh, I've got to say that uh, the suggestions they came up with were, were amazing um, in the fact that all of them were in unity that I need to do one last road. Every one of them said I need to play one more year. Some were for that to give the fans a chance to come and interact with me. But majority of them, uh, which is what I believe in, uh, said that to give myself a chance to go out there and thank the other players that I've played with over four decades, thank the uh, tournaments and the fans all around the world uh, that I've played in for the last uh, 31 years. And it's been a very humbling experience uh, playing for such a long career. And whether it's the 18 Grand Slams we talk about, whether it is the 97 uh, Grand Slam appearances we talk about, whether it's the seven Olympics or the Olympic medal or the Davis Cup, it's the people that have made the difference. Uh, the people that I've interacted with through these 30 years uh, have been really special. And all around the world, uh, tennis being such a global sport, um, to bring a little bit of happiness to people around the world is something I've always strived to do. And uh, I take a lot of pride in my performance. Um, but it's really those people that I'm going around the world uh, to appreciate and thank them for great 30 years uh, in tennis. I'm trying to go through this whole year um, and not get emotional about it. Um, I, I don't think I, I will succeed. <laughs> but uh, to go out on Tuesday night or Wednesday night, knowing that this will be my last Indian Open, uh, will not be easy. Um, I've won it several times. I've done well in the singles and the doubles. I've played with many partners. Um, I've played in front of stadiums that were packed, uh, screaming my name, go Leander, go. And uh, for that silence uh, to stop, um, for that silence to be there in one last roar um, will not be easy. Um, I really am very appreciative for um, all the years of support you guys have given me and uh, and the way you'll have come out, especially in the last one month since I announced one last roar. Um, but uh, I know there will be a second innings. I know there'll be a, a whole second life for me to live, uh, to build up the champions, to do other great things and entertain you in many other ways. But uh, for Leander Pace, the professional tennis player, uh, this is where the train stops. Uh, this is where um, one last row will be. So come out and watch uh, and give me a chance to, to say thank you and entertain you one more time. There's plenty of live action during March on ATP Tennis Radio. Starting in the Californian desert, we'll bring you every day of the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells before moving to the all-new venue at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami for the Miami Open. Presented by Itawu. That's live coverage of the ATP Tour. And there is the roar for Juan Martín Del Potro. On ATP Tennis Radio.
While a legend was bidding farewell in Pune, a flurry of wild cards were saying bonjour in Montpellier. Grigor Dimitrov, Felix Auger-Aliassime and Gael Monfils all chose to play the Open Sud de France. Monfils, the top-ranked Frenchman in the world right now and starting as top seed. Back inside the world's top 10, no less, at the age of 33, Monfils is now under the guidance of Aussie coach Liam Smith, who, it's fair to say, is enjoying himself. He spoke with Jill Krabus. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey for me because uh, I started pretty much working with... uh you know, junior level players and sort of progressed all the way through the the tennis journey in terms of, uh, you know, junior ITF or junior nationals, junior ITFs, futures, challenges and uh, and so on. So it's been been, uh, 20 years now. Um, So uh, lots of experience and I think as a coach, uh, a lot of the time um, you learn the most from the mistakes that you make. So in a way, as I look back, it's, it's always better to make mistakes when you're at a lower level than, than make mistakes when you're at a, at, a, at a higher level in the game. So I'm kind of grateful for the journey that I went on because it, uh, it's, it's given me a lot of resources and, and learned a lot over the many years at the different levels to, to help me now. Can you, can you t- maybe touch on, give us a few examples of some of those mistakes that you felt like you really learned from? Yeah, I mean, when, when you're a young coach, sometimes you, you, you're very eager and you want to work really hard and you might overwork or you might uh, cause injuries or you might, uh, you know, practice too much at a tournament or, uh, you know, small little things, schedule things, the arrival dates and departure dates wrong. And, um, you know, you, you do learn as you, as you grow as a player and a coach, you know, you, you often do make little mistakes and then you learn from them and that's how you get better. And then also starting from a junior level and working your way up to the pros, um, was that a, a big jump for you? Or uh, what is the jump from going from a junior to a pro level? What do you think the biggest difference is? I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting for me because I've actually had the journey quite a few times with, with some top level juniors that have, have been really successful. And obviously Brankus was one of them being number one junior in the world. And then the transition to men's tennis is always an interesting one. Uh, for me, I feel like it's uh, a lot of it is physical and mental, um, and uh, I think as well the juniors, uh, the junior ranking system is very different for the ITFs, and I'm not sure the national different countries have different systems, but in the ITF it's only six tournaments, so it's very different than the the system that you have at the pro level, and I think uh, the young players when they're very good, if you're a top level top ten or a number one junior, you're used to winning almost all the matches that you play. Um, and even if you're, if you're a very high-level junior, you start to play futures, you often have a good win-loss ratio. And then when you step up to, say, challenger level, starting on the ATP Tour, you, you have to sort of keep your confidence through more losses because you're going to lose matches because you're playing a more experienced player, you're playing a physically stronger player, or a, a player that maybe just has a little bit of a bigger game than you because you're still developing. And I think uh, one of the biggest things for me was trying to help the, the young players to stick to their core values and stick to their game and just look at how can they continue to improve to bridge the gap and not lose their confidence because they suddenly start to take more losses than than they were used to the previous years. And I'm glad you brought up Brankus actually because um, you know you, you mentioned he was number one in the world as a junior and he's had great success but hasn't um, quite gotten into the you know the, the top or where other juniors that have been number one have won Grand Slams. What What do you feel like that difference is like 
for him in particular, let's say, or for other juniors that haven't made that jump? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it can be a lot of things. I mean, there's, uh, you can have uh, injuries, you can have uh, things with confidence, you can have things within your game. Um, Richard, I guess, the obvious one is, the, is his size. You know, uh, he was incredibly solid as a junior and he was a, an incredibly hard worker. And we always tried to put a lot of emphasis on him having a good serve. So he's actually got quite a big and good serve for his size. As yeah, I think the, he's super talented. He's super talented yeah. and, uh, and he's, uh, he's got an amazing backhand and he really has one of the best serves on the tour for a guy his size. But I think that for me the obvious one is, um, is the size. You know, I take for example, he played Orange Bowl final, he beat Grigor Dimitrov quite comfortably. Um, but Grigor didn't have his full game that he has now in terms of the weapons. His serve was good, but it wasn't as good, it wasn't as big. He didn't have as big a game, and I think that's part of the, the issue. Um, and then, yeah, you could, you could look at lots of other things, but that's the obvious one. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope for him he can continue to go higher. I think he's been around 50, um, and I know he's had some injury issues as well, and I, I just hope that he can uh, maybe climb towards 30 or, or higher. I mean, he's definitely got the ability. Yeah, I mean, um, I always thought he was always one that I always really thought was so much fun yeah, watching play. Yeah, he's a fabulous person Yeah, as well. like seems really that way, nice, yeah. Um, yeah. Really nice guy. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've known him since he's uh, 13 or 14 years old. So. Yeah. And, and we mentioned super talented as well. Another super talented one is the gentleman you're working with now. Yes. That's been a lot of talk about, Gail Monfils. Um, just talk about how that partnership came about. I know you meant, we meant, we were just talking a little bit off air, and you mentioned that you actually had previously worked with him a little bit in 2017 was where it started. Yeah, well, I've known him for a very long time, going back to when literally when he was a junior, because uh, I used to work with some uh, American kids that were the same age and played uh, played matches against him, practiced with him when they were juniors, and obviously Gail was, was a standout junior as well. Um, and then um, when he would come to Australia, sometimes I'd you know, get some Australian juniors that I was working with to warm him up for matches or practice with him. And um, we actually bumped into each other in the Whole Foods in Miami in about 2015, after I'd left Tennis Australia and, uh, and moved back to Miami and sort of reconnected a bit there. And when I was coaching Radu Albot, uh, we would practice together in our pre-seasons uh, in Miami in December and had a lot of really good uh, training sessions. and. Uh, his former coach, Mikael Tilström, is a, is a friend of mine as well. And uh, we started to do some work together at the end of 2017. Um, Michael wasn't able to travel as much and uh, Gail needed some help for his preseason. He'd been injured actually with a, a problem with his knee and his quad, missed about four or five months and, uh, of the, from the US Open till the end of the season in 2017. And we spent uh, three or four weeks working in Miami uh, just to sort of rehab his injury, rebuild his body and just start to work more on his game and um, we sort of maintained a stronger relationship from, from then on and uh, I would help him here and there when I could but I was still um, full on, full time with Radu Albot and Matt Ebden at the time so um, we, you know, I just helped when I could and uh, we went from there. And, and for knowing him for so long and for seeing him so develop over the years um, now that you've ha now that you're actually working with him full time, did you have a clear vision for a while for exactly what you wanted what you wanted to do with him once you started full time? Yeah, I, I mean, we we did a lot of work uh, that previous preseason on some areas of his game that I felt like he needed to continue to develop, and and along with Michael, and um, you know, it was a fairly smooth transition for me because obviously I knew 
uh, Michael well. I knew what they were working on. I knew Gail and what his goals were. So it was a fairly smooth transition to, to start with him. For me, I wanted him to be more aggressive than, than he was uh, previously. I feel like he has to use his, uh, his speed and his movement and his athleticism to be as, if not more, offensive than defensive. Um, I, think he's the, I think he's the fastest in the world, to be honest. Um, and his defensive capabilities are amazing. But uh, sometimes uh, he'll be in neutral situations and he'll choose the defensive side rather than look to, to maybe create something more himself and be more aggressive. So that's definitely an area that we've, we've focused on a lot. And, and he, he, he agrees and he wants to do that as well. And obviously he's getting older. So, he, you know, if you can p finish points in three, four, five shots instead of eight, nine, ten, it's obviously over the, the course of a year, it makes a difference on your body. Um, as well. So. And so how, how tough exactly is that a transition, do you think, from, from someone that knows that they can rely on their movement so well to be able to change that so quickly into an offensive position? It's not easy because obviously um, he has a lot of confidence and he knows that he can outlast certain people, he can stay in points longer. Um, but I think uh, when you look at uh, trying to be back at the very top of the game and um, and go even further than he's gone before and, and win bigger titles, he, he has to be a little bit more aggressive because you can't necessarily, you know, outgrind Novak from the baseline. You can't necessarily, you know, outlast Rafa on a clay court always. So you've got to be willing to, to step up and use a little bit more firepower. And, and he has it. That's the thing. He has a huge serve. He has a massive forehand. Uh, his backhand is, uh, is a lot better than sometimes he even will give himself credit for. So... It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting to, to think what he can do. I was reading some of the, another, another article that I read, and one of the things that was one of your goals was to keep him healthy and also focused and, and motivated. And um, I think that's one of the things that we notice sometimes in, in some of his matches is that he can occasionally lose focus, I think just because just of such the natural talent that comes to him so easily. Yeah, he, he's, yeah he, he's got a lot of ability and he's got a lot of flair and skills and he can, he can do a lot of things. So, you know, he always says, and you probably heard him say it, that he plays tennis first of all because he enjoys it and he wants to almost entertain himself and have a good time on the court. So sometimes he can, he can get into that mode a little bit and, uh, you know, there's some good things about that, but then there's some areas sometimes where he can just have little dips in the level or losses of concentration. Uh, so we've just been working on trying to play every point a little bit more focused and with a higher intensity and uh, try to get him to just enjoy doing the simple things well. So with how creative a person he is, is that something that's difficult to sort of manage for you as his coach? Yeah, it's, uh, look, it's, uh, it, it's, it's better to have those abilities than not have them. So I think it's just a question of trying to get him to maintain his focus on he's out there to win the match you can be entertaining and you can you can have a good time doing it but you want to find a way to win the match and and sometimes uh, just to take more pleasure in the in the more simple things uh, and yeah as a coach sometimes you have to sit there and you just smile because he he hits a shot that maybe you don't necessarily approve of it but he pulls it off or he does something spectacular and um, there's been a few times in t intense moments in matches where uh, He's come up with something almost crazy, but it's, uh, it's relaxed him, and I've realized that it's actually made him play better for the, for the next 20-minute period because it happened. So 
um, you know, you have to be quite uh, adaptive and understanding of that as well and I, have fun with it to a certain degree. Yeah, of course. And, and he did say, um, I read Liam gives me a lot and it gives me clear plans on the court. Can you tell us what those plans are? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I guess there's a lot of people doing it these days. I, I try to, to, to spend enough, a lot of time looking at all the different stats and uh, get some information from Hawkeye and uh, look at a lot of video of opponents and just try to figure out uh, what's going to be the most effective uh, strategy and what to do uh, on the court and, and also to try to help Gail to be more efficient so that uh, can win more matches in straight sets and, and put less pressure on his body and sometimes one little bit of tactical information here or there or just executing something a little bit better in important moments can make a difference. So I try to um, do a lot of research and analysis and then give him a, a very simple basic uh, strategy to follow and uh, and he's actually been really good at doing at sticking to that and um, yeah I was quite impressed a few times how uh, how disciplined he was in able in being able to keep to that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's something that's been quite good. That is it for this week. For all the latest from India, Argentina and France, head to atptour.com. That's where you'll also get all the build-up to events in Buenos Aires, Rio, New York, Rotterdam, Delray Beach, Marseille, Acapulco, Dubai and Santiago. All of that on the road to the first ATP Masters 1000s of the year and our first live commentaries of the year in Indian Wells, of course, and then Miami. Remember to listen to ATP Tennis Radio and catch up with all of our exclusive interviews. You can do that on TuneIn or direct through the ATP Tour website. Just click on Listen at the top of the page. And you can also watch live action, remember, from all of those events on Tennis TV. That is it for now. I'm Seb Lozier. More from me and a heap of guests next week. See you then. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.